Hey everybody, welcome to That Photography Podcast. I'm Bruce White. And I'm Ed Jones. Um, so today I figured um, there's a subject which I know you've talked about and you, um, in private with me. Which, Ooh, which Yeah, no, it's nothing that bad. Which, But it's an interesting one and it comes about with a lot of people and that is shooting over the shoulder. Oh, <laughs> wedding photographers. Well, there. anything. Um, only reason I bring it up is I did a shoot in January. Yep. And <clears throat> awesome shoot, really happy with it. I keep mining it all the time. Yep. Um, and there's a set of images in there which I've sort of been loath to touch now because the assistant, the model's, boyfriend was there and he's a lovely guy nothing no problem with him yep. he's he, he's he's learning to shoot himself and he does quite good work but i let him take behind the scenes stuff but he also took images as well and he's yeah. been slowly through the model putting them out um i haven't been i haven't said anything to them but every time i see one it pops up every month or so i'm like just makes me not want to touch those images anymore it does it does i I think the, the first time I really encountered that wasn't even at a wedding. It was a model shoot. It was yeah. an agency test shoot with a bunch of their models. Um, and they came to me. We had the mood boards and everything. They had some very specific images. And it's like, yeah, yeah, cool, I can do that. And one of the um, sort of management there is a photographer mm. and um, – doesn't know light, didn't know lighting, didn't know much outside of the green square at that point. Yeah. Um, and they were like, oh, you mind if like when you're there, can you sort of talk me through different stuff and explain? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's fine, that's I, fine. I'm pretty generous with that. Like I'm happy to help people on that, especially if it's like a trade for fate or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was pretty cool with that and um, – and it was like okay, so and some of some of the stuff they set up was more complex setup. So it was multiple gels. It was yep. messing with white balance. So it was to create an effect. For example, in this one, we really wanted that you know that weathered copper, weathered bronze sort of greeny yep. bronze look. So making skin look like that yep. with sort of emerald jewelry and all this sort of stuff. And so it was like gel green gel here and then white cyan. balance to here and then some cyan and it was a more complex one of the more sort of complicated gel sort of setups i've done and so i shoot these images and to get the exact color i've had to totally throw the white balance like it's yeah. it's cranked but that's the fun of that yeah that's, that's the fun right. of it and yeah. it was it was one of these ones and so she was there she had a camera was shooting behind the scenes and yeah was then sort of going, oh, so what What settings do you use to do this and why have you got that there? And I'd explain. I'd go out to sort of finish the set in the studio that were, I was in, go into the next room where everyone was getting ready to see how they're going for the next thing and to talk mm. to them about the next thing. Come back in and my flashes are popping and these photos are being taken. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. So... I provide, I go through, I spend the time, I edit and... In editing these photos, again, in Photoshop, it was a case of like these aren't the real colours. This is a specific yeah, look. Specific yeah. look. Yeah. So I get them all done. I supply them to the agency. They use them for a couple of weeks. Yep. About a month later, my photos have disappeared and this new lot credited to 
the other photographer. The other photographer are there. And the colours were matched perfectly, like number for number. Yeah. The only way to do that is to get one image, sit it there, the eyedropper. Yeah, get your curves right. Get And match that colour and then apply it to the other. And they'd used now they'd outsourced the retouching. Yep. So they'd obviously sent mine as a reference image, their raw file, and said, make mine look like this and retouch it. And it was just basically, it was just so that they could be seen as being the photographer in that yeah, situation. Yeah. And that bugged me. I didn't work with that agency after that. It's like, nah. And right. I haven't worked with any of the models from that agency because I've also had another mate hired a model from that agency and one of the managers turned up halfway through said, oh, you know how the rate was this? We've actually decided it's this. And they upped uh, the rate in the middle of the shoot. That's just bad dodgy business practices. Yeah. So I steer clear of them. But, um, yeah. but, yeah, that's the first time I encountered it. So it does – I can't look at that photo anymore. I love that image and I put a little, I put a little, a several days into retouching that. Yeah. And I really liked it and now I hate it. I just – Yeah, I don't hate the ones I've got. Like, And I still want to go back to them. But it's every time I think about it. Those other ones, and I'm like, they're not unique anymore. Yeah, it just niggles you. Yeah, it's a constant niggle. And I, and this is also one of the things when you work in do workshops or anything like that. <clears throat> I generally never publish anything if I've been to a workshop. Yeah, no, I don't either because everybody's got the same stuff. Yep. And I don't <clears throat> um, like the one time we did a shoot here where we we sort of sh- we two of us shot and with one model and we did different things. Not that I, I did publish stuff from that, but this sort of moves away from from that shooting over the shoulder thing, but it's more um, a time management thing. Like everybody wants to do your own – you want you want to do your stuff, but you don't want to be in the way of the other person yeah. and everything like that. Um, but going back to where we were, I've realised now that I don't mind people being there with cameras, but I don't want people to shoot – Unless it's behind the scenes, yeah. Like I made specific point when we did the wedding sh- thing with you, yep. Not to shoot, yeah, yeah. Like I was shooting behind the scenes. Stuff. I had bit, it's good, good stuff. Yeah, I did some fancy stuff, piss fighting around with reflections and stuff like that. But I, I made sure I wasn't shooting what you were trying to yeah. capture. Yep, and that's and that's where the line is. And I mean, I've I've had that at weddings where you're doing a setup. And um, and the images that you get, you might see Uncle Bob's photos appear, and Uncle Bob's yeah. been over there. I'm pretty pretty ruthless now. It's like just uh, excuse me, sorry. Can you like uh, the bride and groom will be back in the reception soon? If you like, take some photos, and then that'd be fantastic. Right now, I just need some time with them without any distractions. Thank you um, to deal with the Uncle Bob, and <laughs> and I've got the the second shooters I use now are, are pretty good. They I think early on I had a couple that sort of would tend to go, you're shooting a setup and they're shooting almost exactly the same shot and it's like, well, What's the there's point? really no point of that. Yeah. Um, I actually, I've just, I'm changing again, shifting my workflow with my second shooters to sort of following some advice I've had some from some very, very seasoned, experienced shooters of just okay. compartmentalising, this is where you're second shooting, this is where you're second shooting, this is where actually you're Actually give them just, a breakdown of what they're yeah. doing. And you're assisting at these times. So when I'm doing a serious portraiture... Yeah. The camera's away, they're holding lights. They're an assistant then. Yep. Second shooting during ceremony, reception. Um, but anytime I'm doing serious work, 
they're holding lights or reflectors or whatever yep. for me or just passing me lenses and gear. So Yeah, I, I think that's a big thing. If you go and assist somebody, even if you're learning or you are a photographer, ask what the boundaries are. Yep. They may not – the person may not have an issue with you shooting over the shoulder. I bet you most people will though. I, I was a bit naive, I have to admit, because most people don't turn up and want to shoot. And no, it, you don't expect it. It's Yeah, like that – like, okay, you get the, more, um, the hair and makeup artists or whatever want to take a picture with their phone or whatever and that, and that's perfectly fine. But when you've got lights set up and everything like that, unless I'm – teaching somebody yep like i'm actually doing this as a teaching thing um i don't th- yeah I, I won't allow um somebody else to walk in with a camera and take from this r- roughly the same area and vantage points and stuff like that when it's your setup when it's your lighting well when, when you've posed them and you're directing them and everything when you've paid that- for a studio hire yep which is what i did in this sydney one i paid Three hundred dollars, and I think this is where the bigger niggle is. When I boil it down, one is seeing work which is similar to mine going out, but also knowing that even though he was was there and he's good and he helped me out and he was brilliant and I really like him, they're sort of undercutting the value of what I put into it financially. Yep. Yeah, and it's yeah it it. That's very much it. And it's also, I mean, I think a lot of it's naivety on their behalf. It's generally people who don't have a whole lot of experience and don't understand that that's sort of like, that it does, yes, it's having that, mm. it's undercutting you, undermining you financially on what you've invested into it. It's also using your creativity to produce their work because yeah. essentially when you're just setting up the lighting and all the subtleties, I mean, there's lighting and there's lighting. There's sort of basic like mm. cookie cutter lighting that pretty you can teach a monkey to do and then there's the stuff that you do and the other guys that we sort of know and follow do where it's it's subtlety. It's a couple of degrees tilt on a light here and a couple of degrees there. Mm. makes a difference between that looking like a fantastic shot and, and just a, an average shot. Yep. And so there's a lot of your own skill, knowledge, creativity goes into mm. creating that and then if someone else is taking a frame of that and saying that's my work when really you've done everything for them except mm. for press the button. So it's sort of – it bugs me in that regards as well. Yeah, I'm just in my head thinking I've, I, before this episode goes out, I'll, I'll have a chat. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be that guy who just bitches and actually be forward about it. I'm, I'm not going to be nasty or anything. I'm just going to go, guys, keep them private from now on. Yep. And I've got – I mean, I've – I've got a good bunch of second shoes and the way I work with mine is is all great. Um, I'm evolving going into using new ones this year, so I'll be very sort of like this is how it works. Yep. So um, so they don't develop those habits to for someone else as well. I'm not just teaching them how to yeah, I think work that's, for me. That's, yeah, I think that's where this will come down to. It was just like, look, dude, awesome having you around. I'll have you around again. Just don't put these photos out publicly. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, for me as a wedding photographer, having a second shooter there at times, sometimes you just don't want to have to be looking out of your peripheral vision to see if they're in your shot, coming into your shot. You just want to be able to concentrate on that moment and not have to think, oh, no, look, there's a reflection of my second shooter in the mirror behind the bride there. Yeah. Because 
there over there taking a photo of this. So it's just a much easier thing for me, I think, going forwards to say, listen, these mm. are the times that you'll get your camera out and shoot. The rest of the time you're assisting so I know where you are and what you're doing. Yeah. Anyway, I should be not much more really to say about that, but it was just, yeah, uh, it only recently popped up in the last week again, so I was just like... Fresh in your mind, yeah. Fresh in my mind. And <clears throat> you don't want to be that guy on social media. It's like... No. No. Yeah, keep it pro, keep it good, keep all your angst internal. Yeah. Top point. Yeah. Hello, podcast. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's all right. No, it's, I mean, it is something. And people wanting to second shoot, wanting to assist, wanting to learn these things, just talk to your photographer and, and just it's, it's, it's a respect thing as mm. well. Just go, okay, these are your photos and understand that it's not just about what, come, what's create, what the camera does, it's about the lighting and all this is part of the craft. Yeah, I've had a lot of people, actually quite surprisingly, I don't know why, um, actually offer to assist. Um, I don't take it off, take it up very often because um, I don't think I need it very often. No. Some, but sometimes I do. Also cautious about it because if you get an assistant who kind of knows what they're doing, it can be good. Or if they know what they're doing, it's excellent. Um, but if you get somebody who is there to learn and you're doing a commercial job, yeah, they're a hindrance. Yeah. Um, but you might as well be doing it yourself. Yeah, to a point. To a point, unless they're a voice-activated light standard, then you need them to know what they're doing when you say, can you just turn the light there and feather it a little bit behind them or in front of them. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've done that with a few different people over time. It's bitten me in the butt where people, I've lost jobs because they've gone and talked to clients later in the game and said, I'll do it for cheap. Uh, yeah. Which obviously it pisses you off. But every time that's happened, they've always come back to me later. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So in the long game, it hasn't been that detrimental, but it's just like, no, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's I'm also he- another one. I'm here to help. I, I, I'm I'm happy to share knowledge and that because that's the only way I learn. Yep. But you know, don't don't be a dick about it. Yeah, I've I've had friends. It hasn't happened to me, but I've had friends that have rocked up to wedding expos, set up their booth, put their images up. And then five booths down, this person that's second shot or assisted them for the last season sets up their booth with identical photos that they've shot over the shoulder that are there. Using What's the point? It makes you not stand out. Yeah, well, they're just going, well, these are the best photos I've got. And yeah. they're all set up by a professional. And, and, it's, so I sp- that's, and that's, that's where the, the primary photographer needs to have a good contract with the second shooter saying yeah, images right. that you shoot – you can use for your own internal promotion to a degree. Yeah, but anything but, I'm involved with or near, nope. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, that comes to workshops as well. Like, I get it if you go to a workshop and you get some awesome images and you work with some awesome models or whatever else. Pardon me. Um, you want to put them out there, but state where you took them. Say what yeah. you're doing. Because if you go out there and go, this is my new work regardless if anybody else publishes or not, it's not genuine. It's, yeah. you know. It's like, it, have, you, have you seen any of the photos from my Peter, the Peter Coulson workshop I went to? 
No, well, you no. probably haven't seen <laughs> any of mine either. No, exactly. So they're some of the best photos I've. I I like them more than eighty percent of my portfolio in that in that sort of genre because the lighting is absolutely perfect I and the don't. models are posing. I don't I, anymore. Okay, I'm gonna. I haven't looked at mine for a while, so yeah. Um, but you're right. Like you, when you come out of it, you go, I got some cool stuff here, and that. Like, and this could make my portfolio look awesome. But I but I personally went out and within a couple of weeks went and shot stuff with people. Yep. Using similar setups. Yep. And I've done that. And that's what you see. There's some stuff in my portfolio where you go, that's got a little bit of a this look to it. And you mm. can go, hmm, that's... That's where that came yeah, from. Yeah, that's the stuff he learned at that workshop. Yeah, and that is totally fun. That's why you do it. Yeah. That's why you do workshops. Um, I, I did a heap of Dapper and stuff like that, and I haven't applied a lot of them. Oh, done a bit. Um, but, you, it's, but you don't take... Don't take the frames you've shot there and put them out as your own because you didn't do all the work. You use them as a reference for creating. Yeah. Those become your inspirational photos to go, okay, how do I get something like this? That's right. We need that light here and this light here. This is kind of funny. Like the beginning of this show was about people working over your shoulder and this has then moved on to you taking photos of other people's work. Yeah. <laughs> so it all works funny. It all yeah. works together. Same thing. It's there, Well, there's a grey area through there that is where it's moral, where it's... Well, ethical or the one thing that gets me is like there are photographers like Peter who do workshop days or folio days, portfolio builder days, we- weekends he does. Yeah, awesome money maker. If you're going to try and establish yourself, unless you're going to another side of the world, yep, I think that's just silly. The only thing you get out of that is making contacts with models or whatever. But then even then, you probably won't because they're contracted really not to work with you in that yeah. way. Like you, you'd be better off finding out who their agent is or whatever and then booking them for a sheet yourself. Yeah, yeah. Saying, hey, can I book such and such? Um, like yeah. there, there's a like a one of the models which was in um, workshop at APA, um, I got talking to her and I've got a card and if and when I have the opportunity, I'll work with her when I've, and I'll pay for it and everything yep. like that when I've got the ideas and all that. But it's, but I did that in the way it was, I really like your work. I like your look. I think it would be cool to work together. How can I have your card and I'll, and I'll find out about rates and stuff like yep. that down the line. That's how you do it. You don't come up and just go, oh, can, can we work together sometime? Yeah. <laughs> don't be one of those guys. Uh, and uh, it, it happens. <clears throat> yeah, it does. It does. Um, but yeah, like you said, those portfolio builder days, unless you're heading to the other side of the world to present that portfolio, it's probably because everyone in your, especially if like it's a geographically specific, like if it's a Brisbane one or a Sydney one and you're from Sydney and there are 30 yeah. other photographers yep. in your genre from Sydney, all of that portfolio building workshop, shooting the same model, same setups, all done, set up and designed by Peter, for example. Or whoever, yeah. Or whoever, yep. then all of a sudden the next week in everyone's portfolio looks pretty much the same, barring a few edit, a few Had differences editing. in editing and re- yeah. and retouching. But the poses are the same, the lighting's the same, the outfits are the same. It's it's a good money maker for a photographer. It is a good money maker for a photographer. So coming soon to Jeffrey Street <laughs> portfolio builder. <laughs> I think you'd probably do a right out of it. I've never uh, thought about doing 
tutorials or paid things. Uh, I don't know if I'm up to standard. <laughs> I do a little bit of one-on-one basic photography tutoring. That's that's about it. I did um, a one-on-one once for Photoshop and I realised one you really need to find out the where they're at, not where they think they're at. Yeah. That yeah. became a big issue. And they had, I want to learn this, this and this. And I was like, how many hours we got? Like three. We don't have enough time to do this. <laughs> you, you, you are not at anywhere near this, like any of these yeah, levels. We're not going to get to where you want to be today in these sessions. Yeah. You, you know, if you don't understand layers and layer masks, you don't know Photoshop. It's yeah. basically I, when about. when people ask me about Photoshop, I direct them to a couple of really good online free yep. um, tutorial YouTube channels that are fantastic, um, and then say once you've got your head around that, let's sit down and have a talk and yep. see whether I can help you then refine that or get your head around that technique a bit better. Yep. But that's yeah, I leave the uh, the basic teaching to someone else in that regards. Yeah, I've, I know I've, I, I ask people online recently like if people would be interested in some tutorials um because i did something for video recently which i thought was kind of specky and nobody i'd never seen anybody else do it probably have out there and or some other people look at it and go what the hell do you think you're doing but i thought it was a cool technique but i just haven't run haven't had the time i'll do your video ones i won't do your portfolio builder because i'm not I'm, I've just actually made the decision. I'm not even worrying about doing any model portfolio stuff no, again. You, I've had, I've, had it was feel. good to, I, for me, it was good working with them to refine my lighting techniques and my studio yep. setups. But now I'm like, yeah, if you want a model portfolio, go call Bruce. There's, there's probably like, there's probably one or two that if they call me and say, can we shoot? I've shot with in the past, I would. Um, like our, our good friend Jess, for example. Yep. But most of the time, I'll just be like, yeah, talk to this, talk to Bruce. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, I'm too busy. Yeah, <laughs> good problem to have. Uh, but yeah, so I think the moral of the story is um, be professional, ask, ask what the boundaries are and don't be a dick. That's always a good moral. <laughs> I like to keep it ethical and not being one of those. Yeah, I know we sit here on our high house and we've probably done stupid things in the past without realising it, but you know... Oh, undoubtedly, but we're learning and we're, we're learning. trying to trying to get better and not do the same dick moves tomorrow that we did yesterday. Yeah. I think that's the that's the key thing is moving forwards rather than going, Oh, I'm happy with being a dick. Yeah. So it's less than twenty episodes into this show and I'm gonna have to put dick into a title of a podcast. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> anyway, I was Bruce Smile. And I was Ed Jones. And you can find me at Beamoil on Instagram or JoffreyStreetProductions.com or Facebook or all those sort of things. And you'll find me at EdJonesPhotography.com or on the uh, on the big wide world of web or at uh, Ed Jones Weddings on Instagram. Cool. And we'll catch you next time. Talk to you later.